Could you imagine USC being crowned the Pac-12 champions en route to the playoff and knowing that they were leaving the league and the last Pac-12 game in SC history is a Pac-12 championship victory? How do you think the league would feel about that? How do you think George Klyovkov would feel about that? Probably not so great. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is May 3rd and we appreciate you coming to us where, from wherever it is you're coming to us from, whether that's via the podcast or if you're here with us on the YouTube channel, please like, rate, and subscribe. It really helps us out and I know it'll really help the show out as well. We have a terrific show for you today as Jack's here with us, Mark's here with us, Jake's here with us. I'm Greg. We're very excited about today's show. It's a lot of fun. We're talking about five of the most impactful games of the college football season, but not as it relates to playoffs or, you know, divisional standings, not as it relates to right now, but to the bigger picture. What message might be sent with the result of some of the games that we're going to break down today? So we look forward to going through five of those. I might have given you a bonus one because number five, can kind of be used multiple ways. So just hang in there and bear with me. I know I always tell you this, like, I'm going to give you five and then I give you seven. Anyone that's listened to the show up to this point knows that I have difficult time containing and and controlling the length of my lists, but that's why we have podcast platform. We're not confined by time or we're not confined by rules. So glad you're here with us here today. We also have an awesome question in the mailbag today where... One of our listeners sent this in. There have been 12 teams that have won the national championship since the year 2000. 12 different programs have won it. Give me a couple that might win it in the next handful of years. So we give you that. We look forward to that discussion as well. And finally, we'll talk a little bit about the transfer portal process. But without much further ado, five or six massively important games to the 2023 season right now. Five games. Five games. We actually gave you a bonus one, if I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. We had five and we just couldn't list it to five. So five plus one. We have a 5A and 5B, but we have five games. Five games that will help define the college football season here in 2023. Now, there's a few that you're probably going to look at and say, really, maybe you're grasping at straws a little bit right there. But I think there's reason to believe that it would be highly significant if they were to potentially, outcome were to potentially fall in that direction, then it would be a difficult one for the coach, the program, the conference, for any of those to potentially overcome. So we went through and we selected five games that we think might be the most pressure-packed, most important games of the season. This doesn't... People are going to look at this and they're going to say, well, you know, come on, the Florida State-Clemson, that's got to be it, right? I mean, why wouldn't that be the game that maybe wins the ACC that ultimately maybe gets them to the driver's seat to be in the college football playoff? That's not kind of how we're looking at this. And I think... You'll understand a little bit more when I get through the list, okay? Let's start with game number one. Alabama against LSU. And you're going to say, well, come on, Greg. 
that game's always big. I understand that. Okay. I completely understand that. But here's why this is significant. Alabama coming off a loss on the road in Baton Rouge last year. It was a difficult game, but it announced to the world that Brian Kelly and frankly, the LSU Tigers had arrived and not only had they arrived, but they'd arrived ahead of schedule. Very few people thought that that game would be competitive for fourth quarters. I mean, a lot of people thought that this game might get sideways in favor of Alabama because at that point, LSU had been a team that had been a little bit of a roller coaster at that point. Well, they found ways to win games. They found ways to become victorious. And then fast forward to the first Saturday in November, they were able to pull off one of the biggest shocks of the college football season and knocking off Bryce Young and taking the driver's seat in the SEC West that would ultimately lead to them getting to Atlanta and playing for the SEC title game. Now, Fast forward into year number two for Brian Kelly. Great additions made in the portal. Returning quarterback, young offensive line that is probably going to be even better. And maybe, I think, going into the season on the short list as maybe the best offensive line in college football. Excellent wide receivers, multiple that have emerged in Kyron Lacey and Malik Neighbors as potential 1A, 1B when looking at the passing attack. And then a defense that returns their best player, well, best two players from a year ago. Mason Smith comes back. He was hurt in the first defensive series of the season last year against Florida State. And then, of course, you bring back Harold Perkins, who might be one of the most pound-for-pound gifted players in America. So LSU is going to be really, really good. Alabama has been the standard in the SEC West for the better part of the last 15 years. With Nick Saban approaching what might be the finish line, some people have assumed maybe five years, 10 years, however long Nick Saban goes, there was a clear pecking order. One is Alabama, two is LSU in any given year. Maybe some years people thought A&M was that. Maybe some people thought Ole Miss was that. Maybe other teams, you know, however you want to sort them out, Alabama has been the consensus number one in the West for as long as I can remember. But if LSU were to get a victory in Bryant-Denny Stadium and win two in a row against Nick Saban, would that indicate a bit of a shift in the way teams are perceived in the SEC West? I don't know, but that's one I think Alabama has to win. And with it being at home, I think they'll probably be favored going into the game, depending on how both teams are playing at that time. Let's go to game number two. Also, this one is more for a coach, okay? And this one was actually very difficult to keep out of the one spot because to me, you look at what Ryan Day has had to endure the last couple of years. Now, he made up some goodwill. I mean, some goodwill, really did. Made up some goodwill with how his team performed against Georgia, just a field goal away from ultimately advancing to the national championship and based on how the national championship went, probably winning it, knowing how much TCU was up against it. And looking at just how that game unfolded, yes, there were maybe a couple mistakes there at the very end. I didn't like the sequence that led to the game-winning field goal. But either way, I do think Ryan Day is back in the good graces of Ohio State fans. That's until he plays Michigan this year. They might be 11-0. They might be sitting there setting number one, number two, number three in the country. Michigan, I might add, they might be 11-0 too at that point, sitting at number one, number two, number three in the country. 
And if for whatever reason Ryan Day can't get it done this year, that would indicate three consecutive losses to the Michigan Wolverines. Now, I'm not one that has spent a ton of time around Ohio State fans, but in the little time that I have on national radio platform, they might be out with their pitchforks and torches if the Buckeyes lose a third consecutive game to the Michigan Wolverines. They were a heavy favorite last year. They were a heavy favorite the year before. Even in Ann Arbor last year in Columbus, Ohio State goes and gets beat by three touchdowns against the Wolverine. Backdoors their way into the college football playoff, but still, the game is one that will define every single Ohio State and Michigan coach for that match. Now, Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, lost how many consecutive games to Ohio State? And clearly, he's back in the good graces of the Michigan faithful. But if Ryan Day goes 0 for 3 in the last three games, I think people are going to be very, very hot in Columbus. So that would be must-win game and most important game, most pressure-packed game number two of the college football season. Let's go to game number three. Dabo Sweeney, and this is not that dissimilar to the conversation that we had just a moment ago about Brian Kelly, and Nick Saban. Not totally dissimilar, but in a roundabout way, they're not jockeying for division supremacy. They're jockeying for state supremacy. And Davo Sweeney coming off the loss or the losses that occurred in last year's season, go and make an offensive coordinator change. Now Cade Klubnick, you've anointed him. You've brought in Garrett Riley. This is the year that you are going to get things going back again in Clemson offensively. And Dabo Sweeney, for the first time in a long time, this has been a remarkably steady program, a program that would define a bad season as a season in which they lost multiple games. Now, is the standard unfair in Clemson, South Carolina? Probably not. The standard is the standard. They set the standard by being elite from 2015 all the way until 2021. They just haven't maybe been quite as consistent in the last two seasons. But either way, if they lose to South Carolina again this year, then you have consecutive losses to South Carolina. And that would be a game in which we know that rivalry. We remember how Steve Spurrier treated that rivalry. We remember how Dabo treated that rivalry. If for whatever reason they lost at their in-state rival yet again, that would be a difficult game to spin. Now, Clemson, I think, is still a really good program. And I think anyone that says otherwise is probably either jealous or angry about how good Clemson's become. But anyone that says that, that Clemson is not still a legit program, I'm not sure they're looking at it through the same lens as how they evaluate every other team in college football, but to lose on your home field to a team that hadn't looked great for a vast majority of the season and a team that had just had an emotional victory the year, the week before that being against the Tennessee volunteers, thinking maybe they're going to show up, be a little sloppy. Well, it wasn't them that were sloppy. It was Clemson that was sloppy and special teams and mistakes by Clemson ultimately allowed the Gamecocks to steal that one there in Death Valley. I think that is a massive game for the Clemson program and for the perception of the Tigers 
moving forward. Number four. Now, you look at Georgia's schedule. Just pull up Georgia's schedule for me, okay? Tell me how many hurdles there are on that schedule. Now, you might say, well, some are maybe a little bit more difficult than others might think. Like I look at the schedule and... To be honest with you, they should be a really heavy favorite in every single game. Okay, if you disagree, let's go through it. Tennessee Martin, Ball State, South Carolina at their place in Georgia, in Athens, UAB, you're at Auburn. Auburn's still at this point trying to rebuild. You host Kentucky, who you match up great against. You're at Vanderbilt. You have Georgia and Florida. They're in Jacksonville on October 28th. Missouri comes to you. You have Ole Miss, which is in Athens. You go on the road to Tennessee, and then you have the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, the rambling wreck there in the final game of the regular season. That'll be in Atlanta at Dodd Stadium. But you look at that, how many games are going to be a significant test for the Bulldogs? One and a half, maybe? Okay, well, maybe you catch South Carolina on the wrong day. Maybe you catch a, a Florida team that's, for some reason, surprising everybody and they're hot at the end of October. But I think all of us view the SEC East, and we view it as kind of one, Georgia, big gap, two, Tennessee. And being on the road at the Tennessee Volunteers, I do think will be by far the toughest test of the season for the Georgia Bulldogs. If they're trying to get to three straight, and let's say Tennessee's rolling, let's say Tennessee's hot. Remember, you lose a game in the division, then you're not just one game behind, but you're actually a game and a half behind because of the tiebreaker that the team you lost to is a pass. They have the tiebreaker in the head-to-head. So you think about a team last year like LSU beating Alabama. They had a game and a half lead over the Tide. LSU ultimately finished with three losses, Alabama with two. Didn't matter. LSU still got to the championship game because they had the same amount of SEC losses, two, as Alabama did. So if they lose, and let's say Tennessee catches fire, and when we fast forward and Tennessee's sitting at 11-1, Georgia's at 11-1, their only loss is to Tennessee. Tennessee loses to Florida, whoever. Let's say Tennessee loses to Alabama, and they're at 11-1. Guess what? The tiebreaker goes to Tennessee. Doesn't mean Georgia won't still potentially get to the playoff. We know that that's a possibility, but that is a massive one. Knowing that's likely the only roadblock in the way for the Georgia Bulldogs might be one that they have circled even here in May. Moving on to game number five, and we split this a couple different ways. Okay. You can kind of use it as a, I don't know. You can kind of use it. They're kind of both cut from the same cloth, if you will, right? But. The most important game of the Pac-12 schedule is anybody and their brother over USC and UCLA. Answer me this. We know that USC and UCLA are off to the Big Ten. That's that's done. They'll be there in 12 months, and the Big Ten will expand to 16 teams. But could you imagine, as we are fast-forwarding to the end of the season... USC and possible, but unlikely, UCLA, if they're there in the Pac-12 championship game up against a Oregon, 
a Washington, a Utah. Could you imagine USC being crowned the Pac-12 champions en route to the playoff and knowing that they were leaving the league and the last Pac-12 game in SC history is a Pac-12 championship victory? How do you think the league would feel about that? How do you think George Klyovkov would feel about that? Probably not so great. Probably not so great. He's probably thinking, hey, man, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And by the way, you missed the conference championship game, so we don't need you. But in the event in which SC is really good, which would surprise nobody, if they ultimately win the Pac-12 championship, there's going to be an awful lot of pressure on the team that's playing against them to carry the banner for the future version of the Pac-12. Conversely, let's go to the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas. We're actually going to remove them in 2024 to join the SEC. So in the event in which Texas and or Oklahoma, both are possible. I know people say, well, Oklahoma wasn't that good last year, but look at the additions they've made in the portal. Look at the talent. You got a quarterback that's going to be even more comfortable running Jeff Levy's system. You have a wide receiver core that's probably going to be pretty good across the board, even though you don't have that one super dependable number one alpha dog wide out on the perimeter. Defense should be better, especially up the middle. They've attacked the defensive and offensive lines in the portal and on the recruiting trail. So I happen to think Oklahoma is going to be a lot better here in 2023. Now, are they ultimately going to be within striking distance of winning the Big 12? That that to me seems a little bit far-fetched. I'm not sure they can grow that much in just one year. If they do, Brent Venables needs to be strongly in the mix for coach of the year there in the Big 12. But Texas is very likely, and you might even make a case that based on the roster itself, Texas has the best pound-for-pound roster in the Big 12 with the additions of the portal, the guys that were injured last year that are coming back, like Isaiah Nair. You got Worthy on one side. You got excellent wide receiver core that is going to be scattered across the board. A.D. Mitchell's transferred in from Georgia. Quinn Ewers looks to have regained some of the confidence that he played with earlier in the season. The offensive line is bigger and more physical this year with the addition of a couple key pieces. And the defensive front seven, which has long been an area where they haven't really had crazy difference makers, appears like it has finally taken the steps necessary to be a legitimate force. So I think Texas, if I had to pick a Big 12 favorite right now, they would be under strong consideration. I think probably have them maybe first, maybe second, maybe third in that vicinity. But in the event in which Oklahoma and or Texas is in the Big 12 championship game, you think Brett Yormark would be real fired up about handing the Big 12 championship trophy to a team that is going to be leaving the league here in 2024? No, sir. No chance whatsoever. So 5A, anyone who's playing against USC, if SC gets to the Pac-12 title or UCLA for that matter, and 5B, anyone that's playing against Texas and or Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game, you better carry the torch for the conference. All right, McElroy. Like the great Keith Jackson used to say, whoa, Nelly. I got to ask you about Georgia because their schedule does not look like a schedule that you would want your defending back-to-back national championships to play. You know, like it's just, a, I don't want to call it soft, but it's not the strongest schedule in the world. I mean, they're road, they have four true road games. They're against Auburn, Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech, and Tennessee. Like 
you said that they could if they lose to Tennessee, that team with the rest of their schedule can still make the playoff without any question? Yeah, because look at how the committee has treated teams in the past that quote passed the eye test. They're going to have talent unless they get yeah. absolutely boat raced, which you know, I guess is possible, highly unlikely, but possible. Unless they get absolutely boat race and 11 to 1 Georgia with that personnel, I find it hard to believe. And I know the committee says, hey, we treat each and every week and each and every season has a life of its own and it's individual. And we don't allow our preconceived notions about programs to affect how we rank them. I call BS on that because I saw with my own two eyes a team last year in Clemson that was ranked, I believe, third or fourth, even though they hadn't really looked that good up to that point. So I think the committee's lying to us when they say, yeah, you know what? We let the past be the past. We're focused on the present. I think they fall victim like all of us, like human beings tend to do. We use the history as as a guide to how we evaluate in the future. So while you're right, the strength of schedule will be terrible, the strength of record will likely be very good because Georgia should win most of their games in dominant fashion. So I still think if you believe that they'll be left out because they haven't played anybody, I'm not sure you would do that to a team that's coming off consecutive national championships. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Now turning our attention to our mailbag. Please, you can be a part of the mailbag at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can also tweet the show, alwayscfb, on both Instagram and on Twitter. Submit your questions there. We're stockpiling them and we will answer them in a future episode. So we really appreciate your interaction already up to this point. So keep them coming, man. They've been awesome. So Coobs, where are we going today? All right. First question comes from Katie in Dallas. Asks, 12 teams have won a national title since the turn of the century. Can you give me a couple teams who have not won in that time frame that have a good chance to win a natty within the next five years? I love it. It's a great question. And it actually was one that kind of had you thinking. You think about the turn of the century, man, it feels like forever ago. So you're thinking, well, Miami would be the, off the top of my list. Well, they won in 01. You know, o- Oklahoma, they would be up there. Well, they won in they won in, in 2000. So there have been teams that have won championships, but you know, maybe they feel really far removed. 
from having won a championship or being competitive for a championship. I pulled together six that kind of stand alone to me as the ones that are closest. Now, I do think that there's a strong possibility of a resurgence that you could see from a Virginia Tech where you know maybe they haven't been as good lately, but they catch fire, you get the right quarterback, and next thing you know, you're cooking with gas. A TCU, of course, very close last year, very close in 2014, but ultimately last year kind of showed me that the gap is fairly significant, not, not to the extent in which they would lose by 60, but winning a national championship and getting to a national championship or getting to the playoff to me feels even more difficult than ever before. The other thing I'd say too, in a 12-team format, which is where we're going to get to, it might be even more difficult for the teams that aren't quote, blue bloods to win the title. You got to have great players. You got to have great depth and you got to be able to stockpile talent to play in a 16 game regular season that includes a championship game on the back end. So here's the list that I put together. Penn State in no particular order. We'll start with them. Penn State would be a team that has been close before and has at many points in James Franklin's tenure have gone toe-to-toe with Ohio State. Now, I know that they haven't always necessarily won the games, but they have been competitive and compared to the rest of the Big Ten East, not named Michigan the last couple of years, they've played them closer than pretty much anybody. So Penn State has gone toe-to-toe against top-tier competition before. They've won Rose Bowls. They've played really, really high-level football at times. They would be a team that I think could go over the hump very soon if they get the quarterback position situated. Let's go to Washington. Let's Part of you might say, well, hang on, Pac-12, really? Do you, do you honestly believe that? Well, here's why I think the Pac-12 actually might be well positioned to cut down the nets, if you will, down the road because they're going to have an automatic admission into the college football playoff every year by way of winning their conference. So you're going to notice a couple teams on here. I believe that not just Washington can win one, but I think Oregon is well positioned to potentially win one as well. In the NIL era, obviously Nike, very deep pockets, very well supported program. But with the Pac-12, quote, weakening, those teams are going to get admission on a fairly annual basis along with Utah and others to potentially get over the hump. And I, I believe, I really believe this, that both Oregon and Washington, if you've been there, like Oregon was in 11, like Washington's been in the 90s, if you've been there at one point or another, I believe that you can get back there. So I really believe that both those teams are capable of potentially winning a national championship. Another one would be Notre Dame. And a lot of people would say, well, man, they've made the playoff. And look how big the gap has been when Notre Dame's played against top-tier competition. Sure, I don't disagree with that. Brian Kelly did a remarkable job of getting a team that played consistent football on a year-in, year-out basis. Yes, there was the black guy that was, what, 2016, where it was a hideous season. But for the most part, man, this team is steady Eddie. But now with Marcus Freeman, it does feel like on the recruiting trail, there's a little bit more upside does feel like with Marcus Freeman, the relationship aspect of the recruiting game is something that he excels at. Now, there were growing pains in his first year, but there were times last year where they were playing high-level football. Now, Marshall notwithstanding, Stanford notwithstanding, 
There were some ugly performances. No denying that, but this was also a team that took Clemson to the woodshed. It's a team that took North Carolina to the woodshed. They're a legit squad, but consistency has been part of the issue. And to be honest with you, quarterback play, Ian Book was good. I think Sam Harton's got a chance to at least match, maybe even in some ways exceed what Ian Book has. But I believe with how Marcus Freeman recruits, Notre Dame could potentially win one at some point down the road. And two, that should really need no explanation. I think it's fairly obvious how I feel about these two programs. Michigan, do I need to spend more than five seconds talking about Michigan? Probably not. I mean, this is a team that has been close before. If they had beaten TCU in the semifinal game last year, I really believe they would have given Georgia a far more competitive game. Would they have ultimately won the game? I don't, I don't know about that. But I think this is a year for Michigan where they really could make a legit run. All the quarterbacks in the top 10, top five, all those guys that are top flight leaders of their programs last year, the only one that's not really replacing anybody is Michigan. J.J. McCarthy's back and should be better than ever with a really nice supporting cast offensively. And you know the defense is always going to be good, especially with the new twitch they have on the edges of that defense. And then the next team would be Tennessee. Tennessee, look, you got to continue to do it, right? You got to continue to play against Alabama, to play better against Georgia. And there still feels, at least right now, like there's a pretty decent-sized gap between Georgia and Tennessee based on last year's performance. But when you take everything into account and you look at how Tennessee has recruited in the past, how Tennessee is going to continue to recruit, their commitment to NIL, where they're at right now as far as a fan support and fan morale standpoint, it does feel like Tennessee is on an upward trajectory. I am really optimistic about it. Now, ultimately, can Josh Heupel win a national championship? It's a little bit to be determined, but given the growth they've made in very short period of time, would anyone be surprised if they are consistently competitive at the top of the SEC? I don't think anybody would push back against that whatsoever. So those would be the six teams right now that would be at the top of my list as teams that could win a national championship that haven't done so since the 20, I guess the turn of the century, since 2000, if you will. All right. Next question comes from Cole in Alabama. What happens to players who enter the transfer portal who don't get picked up by other schools? It's a difficult question. Uh, some will be offered the opportunity to walk on places. Some will have to go down. Some will go to JUCO. So there's a number of different places that you can go. But those that enter the portal, and, and they're, look, there have been a bunch, by the way. There have been a bunch this year. 1,700 players that have entered the portal this year in the 45-day window and the 15-day window. 1,700 players. It's an outrageous outrageous number when you look at just how many players are playing division one football, several of which were walk-ons So take that with a slight to moderate size grain of salt. But you walk away from a scholarship opportunity and you now have to walk on somewhere else where you might not have academic financial academic assistance. Now next, next thing you know, you're taking on student debt and it becomes a real burden. A lot of guys go JUCO and then hope to come out of it the following year just because they don't have tape. And there's a lot of guys too, if you're a third year junior that hasn't played a whole lot and the only time that you've gotten is on special teams or on mop-up duty, they're having to often recruit you off of tape that is three years old. 
So you're hoping to get practice tape. And there was a lot made of this with Colorado a couple of weeks ago. Guys wanted access to their practice tape from last year so that they can send it to coaches, send it to evaluators at other schools, showing the progress that they've made from high school. Well, Dion wasn't willing to grant some of those requests because he, I guess he didn't want them to leave or whatever the circumstances may be. Maybe we can discuss that down the road. But when you're trying to get recruited off three-year-old tape when you were a senior in high school and now you're a 21-year-old junior, that's a very difficult thing to have happen to you. So I feel terrible for the guys that entered the portal, some of which got bad advice, some of which were probably misled. And I don't think we spent enough time talking about the guys that are left behind as compared to the guys that found really nice, solid places on the other side of their entry. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Thanks for being with us today. Fun show to kind of bounce it around. I'm really curious to see what the response will be to my answer to Katie's question when she asked, who are the next group of teams that might ultimately win a national championship? I'm curious too, with where we're going and with a group of five team that might enter in now into the college football playoff world, knowing that they might have that automatic qualifier as well, is there a maybe a group of five team that could be well positioned to make a run like that? Feels like a long shot, especially after seeing Cincinnati against Alabama a couple years ago. But still, it's one that I don't think anyone can totally rule out, especially seeing what we did saw with TCU last year. When a team has a little magic, they have a little magic, that's for sure. It'll be great. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be with you all summer long. We're going to start to stockpile some guests. We're going to start to have some interviews. We're going to interact with some coaches, some commissioners, talk big picture college football, and set the table for the 23 season. Media days are just 10 weeks away. It feels like it's forever away, but it'll be here before we know it. Between now and then, we'll be your destination for all the news, notes, and updates that you're going to want to have here in the college football world. So please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. And we look forward to continuing to provide college football content for you as we enter into the summer months. For Jack, Jake, Mark, I'm Greg. Hope you have a remarkably good day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.